all things the new Jedi Order. This really came about because Megan Krause has been doing her retrospective on Blog Full of Words. So Megan, welcome. Hi, Trisha. Thank you. I'm excited. I've been doing this thing for a year and a half now, and this is kind of one of the culmination moments for it. 19 books, it's like you had a baby. (laughs) 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 Oh, yes, this is my horrible alien baby. Everyone loves it. Feels it. Like, and we also have, laughing at it because she understands reading 19 books, is Rocky from 1138. How are you? Doing great tonight. I'm excited. Megan does a lot. You're on Forcecast and obviously working on Savudu and Den of Geeks. So, you know, people see Megan around and people might remember Megan reviewing uh, The Clone Wars on Fangirl Blog. So it's fun to get back and talk about some of these things. Megan. Why did you like dive into this retrospective? Because it was it was kind of cool when I saw you coming back to it, and so I want people to just really get kind of that sense of what made you go back to this 19 book monster and and read it, reread it actually. So I had been kicking around for a while rereading the books, either just say maybe just Specter Prime or just Traitor, which is one of my favorites. Simply because the books are kind of always in the back of my head. They're one of my favorite Star Wars series. I always, they kind of always drift around. So I thought maybe I should finally do this. And the thing that actually inspired me, and I don't think I've talked about this a lot, is um, Nancy from Tashi Station did her Timothy Zahn trilogy reread. And I thought, oh, she did that. I can do this. That's when I decided really to do every single book and make it kind of organized and do a little soul searching about why I liked them in the first place and what I thought of them now. How old were you when you first read them? I think I was about 13 when I started or 14. Yeah, I guess I know when you go back and read books sometimes that you read as a teen, you're like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Exactly. (laughs) I wanted, I wasn't sure if I would still think they were good and They turned out to be, they hold up really well, but part of me was going into this going, okay, I'm going to be disappointed, and then I'm going to psychoanalyze exactly why I'm disappointed. (laughs) Rocky, I know we, the first time we ever talked about New Jedi Order was at New York Comic Con, right? And you, you gave a a lot, you had a lot of personal meaning to you. So do you want to kind of explain to people when you first read it and, and why it still, it matters to you? All right, so I first read New Jedi Order. I found Vector Prime when I was 14, and in the middle of a rather unnaturally serious bout of teen angst, shall we say. And over the next year and a half to almost two full years, come to think of it, I finished the whole series, 
took lots of library searching, lots of bookstore searching, and basically they were the books that kind of shaped how I dealt with being the weird outcast kid in a school that didn't like me, and maybe it wasn't the greatest thing for my psyche at that point, but in terms of, like, if I were to name five books or book series that have really shaped how I survived adolescence, that would probably be number one, for better or worse. Hey, I think it's for better, to be honest, knowing <laughs> some of the series that people are like, oh, I really like. And it's like, ah. <laughs> and it's so funny because you guys, you started your adventure kind of with this reading it as teens, and I was reading it as an adult, still how it was it was what I wished I had as a teen maybe but it the the themes of the story are very very adult it didn't shy away from kind of being tough and gritty and dark and having some really rough ideas which I think is interesting because now they talk about all you know that teenagers actually deal better with this kind of brutal honesty in storytelling and if you look at some of the series that have captivated people like the Hunger Games since then that can be kind of really kind of in that sort of same dark tone except maybe not as expansive it's it's not surprising that as teenagers people would kind of latch on to it and really take hold see megan your favorite book is there one that you could pick that is your favorite or two or maybe is it maybe a better way to say are there ones that you would just leave out (laughs) that might be the way I have to do it I can I think I can definitely pick favorites um Traitor is still my favorite and Final Prophecy turned out to be much better than I remembered it being um in terms of ones that I would skip the uh there was definitely a duology in the beginning that I that I just kind of found dull and I'm flipping through because I want to make sure I get the name right because I was reading them rapidly and then wrote the names on the blog and then forgot which was which edge of victory was not as exciting as I thought it was. And we can go into that a little more because I had a big expectation for the edge of victory series. And that was one where really, I realized I had sort of, uh, blown it up in my mind to be much better than it was. Yeah, knock them out instead of all the others are really great. No. <laughs> we have certain ones. Rocky, what are your, do you have books that made an impression that are your favorites or maybe ones that you just didn't only read once or twice and didn't go back to them? Traitor is definitely by far my favorite. Something about being a philosophical meditation in the middle of a long war. Destiny's Way also held up even better than I thought it would, as did Final Prophecy. To be honest, Unifying Force, I did a reread fairly recently myself, and Unifying Force definitely did not stand up anywhere near as well as I was hoping it would. Mm -hmm. And Agents of Chaos, Enemy Lines, and the Force Heretic trilogy especially, they had their good points, but they were also not easy books to get through. There was definitely, after the first couple books, then it sort of went slower than the Stackpole books. I felt started to bring it back into where I felt more like the Star Wars universe that I like to read, even though it was in this long drawn out war. And then Destiny's Way is really a great book. And it's so funny because as a Jaina Jag shipper, it really didn't have any of that. They actually stuck a scene back in there just so they wouldn't forget Jag. 
where he wasn't with her, but as as a story about a character coming into their own as a hero for for Jaina, that's an amazing book. And I thought it encapped. I wrote about this. It encapped sort of the heroine's journey arc for Jaina, and they didn't. And then unfortunately, the series doesn't drive hers home. They dro- they essentially dropped her journey there, and then it ended with Jason and Megan. I noticed that you talked about that in your review of the, of no, let's see the unifying force. Yes. That's the last one. Yeah. (laughs) You have to think about it. That, um, that was one of the things that really bothered me is that it was Jane didn't get to be in the fight. And I thought I've always said that I thought they could have really done a, you know, diverging arc and really drove that home. So I'm hoping maybe, we'll see them try to do that in Star Wars as opposed to it not finishing. But all the books are have good things in them, good intentions. And they had a lot of really writers that were at the top of their game, still some of them at the top of their game. Did you guys, other than, I mean, Stover, we'll just say Stover's awesome. You should read everything that Stover ever writes uh, in Star Wars and just, go with it and that's my recommendation especially the revenge of the sith novelization but are there any other authors in other than stover that stuck out to you rocky the thing that really stuck in my mind about this entire series was how it flowed well because we went through so many different authors and it would have been dangerously easy to lose the entire flow of the story and I'm really impressed with how well it all worked together with each other, even though you can tell that one author wants to tell a very different story than another. One is writing better politics. One is writing better space battles or Yuzhan Bong. I'm trying to put a name to Edge of Victory, but one of the things I really loved, especially with the first book there, was really getting into the heads of Yuzhan Bong, humanizing them. That's what your favorite, right? You like them as a as an alien in Star Wars. Is there something that was different and unique that kind of captivated that you about them? The amount that they're both very different and very much the same. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's such a edge of victory is what really made them an accessible villain for me. This is one of the things that within star Wars literature, it's like the empire is just the evil empire almost until we start meeting Imperials like Pelion who make a little bit more sense as a bit of an everyman. Just like mm-hmm. Yuzhan Bong are so terrifying, so utterly alien until we start meeting their shapers who are surprisingly normal. Yes. <laughs> and as soon as it feels like we're seeing into their heads and into their lives a little and a little bit more about what makes the Yuzhan Bong culture the way it is, suddenly they are so much more fascinating. That's Greg. Greg Keyes wrote that book. And he also wrote The, the Final Prophecy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And... So, and I actually went on to read his other books and the outside of Star Wars. I really like his books. They're very diverse. They read very well. He's got a kind of a strong understanding of culture, which might have been helping him build individual characters. And honestly, when I go back and read the NJO, especially now talking about the expanding universe and the books. I feel like the new Jedi order was way better at being diverse, just having male and female characters, characters of different races, aliens, and 
you know, Sackpole's book, I, I made a comment in my retrospective on Megan's blog that there's just all sorts of type of aliens and all sorts of different types of people. And you see them. And I noted, um, Megan, you mentioned that there were so many different char- uh, female characters of different sizes. They didn't all have to be, like, beautiful. There so were, Aaron Alston especially was, yeah. was uh, I really noted that he did that. So, you know, that was that was at least for me, but they, there was this kind of an enormous world building of this whole culture of the Yuzamang who couldn't even, they couldn't access the force. So like everything about that we took for granted as far as what Star Wars was, they were like kind of repelling it, making something different, um, giving the heroes a new challenge because they had to fight them differently and they had a weapon that could stand up to a lightsaber because at that point, pretty much, you know, we were going through the prequel trilogy and the Jedi were just slashing things down. It was almost like, okay, it's too easy now. Um, so it gave this great um, kind of backdrop. Again, they were fighting somebody that they didn't really know who they were or why they were fighting. And we got to see more and more of what was driving them. Yeah, I think the Yusan Vong... Like like you said, they're interesting because they're alien without being feeling unusual, um, especially with Unifying Force where you find out more about their history. I think their history makes a lot of sense in terms of the, the Star Wars galaxy it fits in. It uh, shows this whole, like you could write novels about them before they came to the galaxy that we know. Um, I really enjoyed their backstory. There were definitely times where it seemed like the books were kind of driving home like a okay, this is their technology, this is what it's called, but that's kind of necessary to keep people up to date when you're reading these books maybe six months, a year apart. And it, we got to see their society very slowly, like you said. You got to gradually see the different casts and um, get to know the Shapers, which were some of my favorites. And their, they, their society felt very complete. It's really one of the best-built fictional societies I've seen in a while, they put so much time and effort into making it fit together, making it make sense. Because, oh, why why are they doing so many sacrifices? Why are they so obsessed with violence? It gets explained fairly well. The consistent making sure that the culture flows together and makes sense in a multi-author 19-book series mm-hmm. is a true feat of literature, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. I look back at it almost and I'm like, this is sort of like the you know pre marvel model of star wars but it was in book form they were taking different types of stories different types of authors and kind of putting them and telling this grand story but using their each of those storytellers strengths and kind of going in different ways i mean the best best example is the Jaina, Jason, individual stories that come right in the middle which are traitor and dark journey which are so totally different, but they're, you know, they're both doing something in a way that to me, I love both those books. They're completely not the same. Cunningham is certainly not the writer that, that Stover is as far as the prose, but she did a very technical detailed story that had a lot of things going on. It was moving a lot of characters in different directions and sort of shifting this war after this huge loss of star by star which was literally you know the bomb dropped on, on <laughs> at least you know if you're going to talk about at least on the skywalker solo family that was 
the 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 kind of undoing unraveling for them they you know that was one more step that they were losing one more person in kind of the battle for just to keep the light going when you think about those two books and how they operated and the mechanism is it was it did you have a preference did your friends like have a preference do you remember or do you remember that they both worked for you guys I always preferred Trader, and it's partially because of the of the pros and partially because sort of of the shock value. I remember my friends and I were always surprised at how dark the new Jedi Order would go, and Trader went dark. And because of that, it stuck in our minds more, especially after reading Trisha's post that you contributed to my retrospective. I definitely see how the books parallel each other before, but I think that I found dark journey to be much slower when I read it the first time the second time I realized sort of how close to the dark side Jaina was but she was she was she was there <laughs> oh well she yeah, was like it, basically shooting lightning so yeah well the whole funny thing is Jason sort of is in denial of what he's doing and Jaina is right on over she she's going right on over the line they never mm-hmm. she never doesn't say this is what I'm doing I'm mad I'm a mad teenager and I'm going to act like one. And so if that's kind of the beautiful symmetry of that, of those two books is, you know, it Stover's Stover's treading this kind of line where he's like, Berger's the voice. And we're going to talk about Berger in a minute, but she's the voice that has, has literally, I mean, there are still battles on the internet about who she is and whether she is good or evil <laughs> which makes her one of my favorite characters so rocky on that note <laughs> what would you like to tell everybody about Berger? because i know you have thoughts oh i do one of those thoughts is i miss the days when i could just walk into the force.net's lit forums whisper Berger, and walk out and watch the chaos unfold around me <laughs> it's oh true. i miss it <laughs> But the thing with Bergere, and the thing that I very much liked about Bergere and had a difficult time with following the New Jedi Order, is the fact that we never find out who she really is. Personally, I'm of the opinion that during the course of the New Jedi Order, we are never meant to find out who she is. She is supposed Mm -hmm. to die having only told us what she feels that each individual character needs to know about her identity. I like to think that she lied a lot to Jason, and who knows... Who knows who she is? The very fact of the unknowable, the place of a character in a book series in which the entire galaxy has been thoroughly upended and its very foundations have been seriously questioned, now toss in a character who says everything you know may or may not be true. I could also be lying for whatever reason. You will never find out any of these reasons. The very fact (laughs) of the unknowable meshes so utterly perfectly with Jason. <laughs> She's like the meta of unreliable yeah. narration. <laughs> she is the yeah. perfect, literally one of the most perfect unreliable narrators. And part of what I like about her is that Jason and Jaina both need something propelling them through, in the classic Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, the hero at some point will end up going through an underworld of some sort. And seeing the both of them going through their parallel dark sides Jane is very much fueled by her own rage, her own brush with the dark side, and Jason's force is a little bit of a small feathery external one who sits <laughs> down and says, I'm going to torture you because 
I'm bored and it's Tuesday. And, oh, by the way, everything you know about the universe is a total lie. I mean, it might be true, but I'm never going to tell you which one it is. So you have to figure that out for yourself. And once you've convinced me that you understand that nothing is actually set in stone ever, then we're on good terms. The funny thing is when you just look at kind of the meta of Star Wars fandom from the expanding universe viewpoint, there were people who literally like lived and died on how long a starship was or what, um, you know, the mechanics of something or what this looked like or how many uh, clone troopers there are. I mean, I mean, these were these were things that people had wars on message boards about. Oh, they I went remember. after authors about. So for them, the people who are reading this, a lot of them expected everything they they expected in the way that they would hold the um, Star Wars people telling the stories to this. They wanted to hold them to a truth, right? And then that's what you would see the the interesting way people react because they would literally take what Vergere said and say, well, she said it, and therefore she said it, this line of dialogue, therefore it is. And, um, like, but, and then but Vergere it, herself it says, says, does truth um, come in breeds like nerfs? Yes. <laughs> Great quote. <laughs> I know. So it's like, I'm like, no, it, you, that's the whole thing is you don't know what is the truth and what isn't her truth. And then she starts, you know, in Destiny's way, that's when she starts messing with Luke, too. Oh, which I'm like, oh, man, we're in trouble. Oh, and <laughs> like, whoo. And but that was sort of the, you know, and it's funny because later on in the books, there tried to be a lot of um, I always felt like it was like retconning and saying that Jason was this and Vergier was that later on and I thought the kind of the beauty of her as a character was she really was just she was this I mean we can watch the tv today and see something and know that what they're telling us is untrue and so you know even things that are supposed to be the news you're like I know that's not right you know Star Wars fans will say something and you'll be like I know that's not right you know the and so it's that sort of kind of meta of having things being spoken and being told, but it's this one character who she's, she was way, you know, I hold her up there. Like she's like this, she's like this great character that nobody should really dive too deep into her because you, you know, you might, you might end up losing kind of the grandness of her, but yeah. That's interesting that you say that, because I think I agree that, to a degree, trying to find some truth in Verger isn't the point. And she's a very poetic character in that way, that she represents uncertainty. She was definitely one of the first characters that I encountered who talked about that um, balance between the dark and the light, and how you never quite know which is which. And I wasn't as interested in Jason's philosophical struggles, but I was interested in whether the story would reflect on what Roger said. Would there be instances where you couldn't tell the light from the dark? And I think that there were. And I think that she's... I don't remember whether I played Knights of the Old Republic 2 before or after this, because Kreia is the other character that I think is very similar to her, in that she has all these layers of she's saying one thing, but means another thing, but is trying to do a third thing. And that uncertainty makes her much more human, you know, or alien or what have you. I would, yes. <laughs> She's a human feathery alien bird 
creature yes. Jedi. <laughs> maybe not Jedi, Possibly. maybe Sith, maybe not. One subject <laughs> change without notice. <laughs> That's like, I can't imagine her as like a Padawan in the old Jedi Temple. I know presumably she was, but can you imagine just like feathery teenage Roger? I can imagine feathery teenage Roger very well. Probably Excellent. because I was the sort of bratty teenager who sat in the corner of class and really only started talking or paying attention when I felt like starting a fight with the teacher. I also read Traitor at one of my finest moments in my whole spending all of my free time in class starting fights with teachers because I, I was a terrible high school student. Let's just be honest about that. And the very, the focus of that kind of uncertainty and the idea that this character we're never going to get a straight answer from about anything in the middle of a universe where nothing anymore can really be counted on. It's just such a perfect combination. And honestly, I think the fights about Vergere just got worse when the canon decision was, oh yeah, by the way, she was somewhere in somewhere in the Sith spectrum, actually. Because truthfully, that does not make a lot of sense with what we know about her character. Mm-hmm. Yep. To be fair on the kind of there was a point there when they were making those decisions beyond the New Jedi Order where it was really more about, we had a lot of Troy Denning in that era of writing the stories and contributing kind of the mindset. And I've always been critical of his attempt to try to tell people, like every story was always him trying to make people understand what they didn't get about the last one. And I always felt he was always trying to one-up Matt Stover. Mm-hmm. That was like mm-hmm. his... That was his, he wanted to be the, the Matt server, except that he was going about it exactly the wrong way. He was trying to ref, like define things. It was interesting at, at one point when I was reading through the ERC for when I was doing kind of the, kind of the edits and the feedback on that as a fan. And there wasn't necessarily, I was seeing things that cohesively as a fan, I understood that the on philosophy because a lot of fans argued about philosophy and I, I felt like the that was one of the good things was to have the philosophy not too honed in I felt like the new Jedi order took us from a could it be a good versus evil to could it be a balance of light and the dark it was starting to kind of open people's eyes but then there were there were things I was like oh wait a minute because some of the things were kind of put, trying to put down truths in the ERC. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if you should do that. And luckily, I was glad that they kind of backed out of that, of trying, because it, I felt like it was kind of that, uh, there was this desire beyond the New Jedi Order to actually define everything as opposed to letting it be. Because really, it's okay if you want to see the world as good versus evil, or if you want to see the world as a, a series of balancing acts between as I call it when I write in the stars insider it for George Lucas, it's not good versus evil. It's selfish versus selflessness. And sometimes the most selfish decision, which would be Luke going to save his father instead of going and blowing up the death star and ending the war turns out to be the right decision, but it's always trying to figure out when that it is. But but I don't think there's wrong in someone seeing, because that's how I came into Star Wars was good versus evil. And there's still, to me, good and evil and light and dark and maybe not necessarily both 
you know, you can have all these things working and you don't necessarily need to define them as a storyteller. And it's probably to your advantage not to define them as a storyteller. Yeah. And that's kind of what I meant, too, about seeing how her philosophy played out, because, like, I'm glad that the story ends happily. Spoilers for a 13 year old series. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad that it, the light side prevails generally before all the stuff that comes after, of course. And I think that is what almost allows Roger, sorry, Rocky. Um, <laughs> I think that's what allows Roger to work almost because she's functioning within this very neat, clean, dark and light structure that in a way allows the entire underpinnings of Star Wars to work, but she challenges that structure too. I just very much liked how by the time the story ends, things have been defined a little bit better the Yuzhambong have been put as we may perceive them as evil, but due to the way their own culture has worked, due to their history, their perspective is very understandably different. And the ultimate answer is not the Yuzhambong equivalent of blow up the Death Star, pretty much. It's, yeah. The ultimate answer to dealing with them is going to be an extremely different one and require a good deal more diplomacy, finding out about their history and figuring out for those Yuzhambong who are interested in returning to their ancestral roots, really, helping them along that route. Really, when you think about being older and wiser, if you look back on it, there's a lot of kind of real world things that you could see in sort of that having a war and not understanding who you're fighting or why they're fighting and then kind of getting to the end of it and realizing, well, there's there can be a better way. And sometimes that's hard to get past those things. I know I was struck by some of the things with the Yuzhambong that, you know, you, you thought of them as this ugly, brutal invader, but then they would have beautiful things like the Rainbow Bridge, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that, that you would. And I always thought that just the idea of, you know, I know the, the lightsaber is an elegant weapon, but I thought that their, you know, amp staffs seemed to me like really cool because, you know, who wouldn't want a snake on the end of their weapon that could reach out and just bite someone and kill them? <laughs> oh, their technology's <laughs> awesome. Absolutely yeah. awesome. Like the little details there that humanize them, like the moment where you realize that Jason has made friends, actual friends, with the world brain. And mm-hmm. those little things that you realize, those are the little moments that could either be the seeds of finding some understanding with the Yuzhambong or it's going to go totally wrong and blow up in everyone's faces. And it's really hard to tell which way it's going to go because the standard Star Wars way would be blow up in everyone's faces. However, it actually works out in the ends. I think that um, one of the reasons I love Zonamasikot, like that's one of my favorite things about this series. Um, I love the seed polyp ships and I want one very badly. Um, (laughs) So... I love that you can see Zanamaseka as sort of a light side reversal of the Yusunbong. And that's pointed out in the books. And there's a moment at the end where the warriors amphistaffs actually like slither away because they're in their natural habitat now and they're peaceful creatures now. Well, you know, I, as I was thinking about kind of this 
series, I thought it was like a decade too early because you can imagine kind of like the the uh, transmedia, you could have like Farmville slash video game, right? Where you had to like raise your... I want that so badly <laughs> now. You know? Raise your ship, right? You had to feed it and nurture it, Aww. raise your weapons. You had to feed and nurture them. And when you fed and nurtured them well, you could go around and in a video game. But if you didn't take care of them, they would die and they wouldn't be very good spaceships and weapons. So, you know, in in the scheme of things, this book was these books were a little too early because they could have had all sorts of tie-ins. I do remember <laughs> oh, them having advertisements on TV, which was shocking to me to see books advertised on TV. Of all the tragic deaths in this well what was the one that was had the most impact on you as a reader because there were you know there was a lot of drama about the deaths but it is star wars and people die from the beginning in a new hope one of our favorite characters dies so that is the way of it so megan what death impacted you there's so many (laughs) so i mean obviously anakin star by star was a devastatingly sad book, and I had to wait until summer to read it because it was too sad in the winter. But, um, and Ganner, of course, had a, such a cool showdown. Nen Yim just wasn't fair. But I guess I also have to point out the, the Sabatine siblings because I had forgotten that, <laughs> that two of them die, and I loved them. And when they did, it was just like, it was it was so sad. They The two of them, I think it was Krasov died sacrificing herself for the team and they always had such different their culture is so different too like i think they would just like eat raw things on missions and they were just very vibrant characters and that that meant a lot to me rocky what's the what's the impactful death Anakin definitely destroyed me. I was spoiled for it, of course. I mean, I read these books a few years after they came out. Of course I was spoiled. But that didn't make it any easier to deal with. Ganner's death was actually one that wasn't, it didn't really hit me in a sad sort of way. It just really hit me in, well, if you're going to die horribly, it is possibly the most truly spectacular way to go. (laughs) I mean, really, getting yourself, like, elevated into a culture's legends because you died so epically that takes mm-hmm. skill and you know one of the deaths that did hit me very early on was Jaina's first wingmate Annie Capstan oh, that yeah. that kind of hit me a lot because I didn't realize this the first time I read these books but I very much realized it in the reread Jaina's what 16 and she's yes. just lost someone who's supposed to have her back literally in life for her life and like as a new fighter pilot though Jaina might be no stranger to death and war she's never really had it that personally in her face combined with her family falling apart so much that one really hit me hard yeah it'd be like being a teen you imagine like when you're a teen you don't think anybody's ever going to die right exactly. it's like yeah, and then it's like, whoa, wait a minute, because, you know, and there's that moment where she talks about she just didn't really know her as well as she might have liked to, mm-hmm. which was, was really kind of that, that's that when they did a lot of humanizing of Jaina in some books. So it was it was very kind of hit or miss on the female characters for sometimes they were really, really good and really strong in the books, and then sometimes they, their stories would get 
kind of, you know, undermined and, but for, for, you know, there's obviously Chewbacca died and, you know, that was the, the great, well, you they wanted to kill Luke, right? Mm -hmm. When they started the series and then Lucas is like, no. Uh, And so it was Randy Stradley. You said, well, it's kind of in this kind of story group discussion that it was kind of the obvious, you know, we'll kill the family dog. It's Mm -hmm. like the old, Star Wars old yeller and poor Chewbacca but people like really did not handle it well it was you know it was I was talking to some people recently that checked out after Chewie died they're just Mm -hmm. like they couldn't do it what they didn't want to they didn't want to but the whole thing was it if I kind of think that in the moment it was it was very cinematic. I mean, you, it, yeah. what else is going to take Chewbacca down but a moon? Yes, literally. <laughs> and he's fulfilling sort of like his debt to Han Solo, which we had all, you know, had knew about from sort of you know the early um, you know backstory of Han Solo and Chewbacca's friendship that there was some you know debt of honor. So I thought that paid off on it, and also made you realize that everybody was fair game yeah. essentially. Uh, in in the story for me you know Anakin ended up dying again because of an an edict it was not you know it was going they they didn't want two Anakins going on when they were doing the prequel trilogy so if he had been given a name like uh dude bro he would <laughs> not do <laughs> the dude dead character which <laughs> dude bro solo. I, I happen to uh you know, which is interesting because a lot of things that happened in this were simply out of, not out of, uh, and Pablo Hidalgo made a point out of this one time talking about going forward with Star Wars in the new canon era is that a lot of decisions that were made were simply because Lucas, George Lucas said, no, mm-hmm. you can't do that, as opposed to, which was interesting because Jaina and Jason grew up, went through hero's journeys with their parents still around. Yeah. Right? That's uh well, yes, but in the, the that's typically your standard loss mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, the orphan. That was very, you know, and it's very much Star Wars, too, to kind of to have that. So that was a new, different e- edict, but less kind of impactful as maybe it could have been. But Anakin, you know, he died. He literally, to me, you know, he still holds up as one of these kind of the great Star Wars characters that, he really was a hero. He really was entrenched in the light side. And yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. and I, sometimes I wonder if, if they, if he hadn't died, if they wouldn't have screwed him up too, but you know, getting, <laughs> getting older. Um, I remember Megan reading in your retrospective that you enjoyed Tahiri very much. And she was sort of tied intimately to Anakin in the, that. So, did what about Tahiri, you know, beyond being Anakin's girlfriend made you like her? Because she had a lot more story beyond his death. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Anakin being Tahiri's girlfriend is the least interesting thing to me. It ruined Alima. It was just not what I was there for. Um, but I always thought, and I know Tahiri has become, what they did with her story was not good. But Even in the books after this, Tahiri has so many different identities. She's a Jedi. She was uh, raised by the Sand People. She became a 
Sith, she became bounty hunter, she was so many things. And you can see that in the New Jedi Order already, where she's all about not being sure where she fits in. And she, of course, during this, adds another thing to her list of identities, and that's the use on Bong. She already had such a distinct character. She would uh, she would go barefoot. She was, you know, friends with the Solos, even though she hadn't been raised with them. And when she becomes Rena, when she gets her Yusun Vong personality, she has to learn to accept that she's someone completely new. And Anakin's death affects that struggle and makes it worse, but the struggle is not about Anakin. It's about Tahiri realizing that she's someone new and that she needs to merge these two personalities. And she uses that as the books go on. She becomes familiar. I mean, she's already innately familiar with things like the Yusun Wong language and their culture, and she uses that to her advantage. She also shows some of the positive side of Yusun Wong society. She is very attached to family. She talks to Corin. I love her and Corin. Um, mm-hmm. She talks to him about a concept called Ezai, which means that you keep the essence of a promise, not like the literal words, like you keep the emotion behind the promise, and that's most important. And the fact that the Yusun Vong that we've seen is they're very um, interested in their own ideas of honor, but they're brutal and bloodthirsty. The fact that they have this word to break down the idea of promises and the idea of honesty into something very compassionate and very positive was really cool to see. And it's such a, it's one line in the book, it's, but it was very uh, enlightening to me. And I love her very gradual friendship with Nen Yim. Um, I always liked Nen Yim. I think it's because she was um, like a female scientist. She did bad things. She wasn't always the most moral person, but she was a character that was very interested in her job. She had, I thought that was a cool job. Like, I mean, she dissects Jedi. She's not a, quote, good person. <laughs> and she outright says that to Tahiri at one point. Um, yeah. yeah. But she, like, got to work with the Yusun Vong animals and with the eighth cortex or the the different cortexes. And I thought her headdress sounded really cool. Everything except the hand removal. I'll, I'll not involve myself in that part of Shaper Society. That was <laughs> You don't want to do <laughs> No. That was that was one of those things where my friends and I who were reading this just went, Did you get to the part with the hand? <laughs> yeah, they they went on some things. Tahiri was she was very impactful for me, actually so much so that when I created my novel Wind, I wanted to create a character like her, but like you say, there's there's multiple things to who she is, but they, they never, I would say that Tahiri could literally be anybody else in some of the other series, like it would, because they keep reinventing her, which you can only, like, and forgetting all the other things, like they literally forgot about all this kind of incorporation yeah. of and an, when they went on with the stories I'm like but this is li- literally the most important thing that happened to her she's now half of another alien walking around in a body which could be so powerful as if you want to talk about somebody who, who might feel you know someone who's biracial or someone who's, you know, torn between, you know, parents who are different religions, that type of thing. So there's all this, you know, the kind of power of a character who has different allegiances, but has to, you know, walk that line between them. And so I, I, 
she was like I was aspiring as a secondary character to make it to also made me very aware of paying attention in Star Wars to how they arc through characters, like what they did with them, how if they maintain, you know, maintain what's happened to them and what gone on in the New Jedi Order. It was just it was it wasn't always consistent with her, but I liked the, that they did do, you know, big overarching thing. And it wasn't about all about Anakin dying. She never she never dwell. I mean, it was in there, but it wasn't, you know, she had to keep moving on in her story. So Bindi Drayson yes. was another a favorite character for me. And she got to come back. She was one of those characters that was in one story and got came back near the end, right? I'm so, so glad she did. She uh, <laughs> she was one of those where they explicitly described her as, I think it was unlovely was the word for her. Um, and she, <laughs> yeah. she created a droid that had two left feet. And she was a super useful member of the Coruscant Strike Team. And I was so glad to see her come back. <laughs> she she just had like this like um I don't know you know she was just you could see this person who just she was gonna get poodoo done for lack of a better word just yeah. that you know she was just gonna she's gonna make it happen and I and I and I love that about her you know she was obviously I love that they used the race in the New Jedi Order they were always fun um which actually drives me to the um. <laughs> One of my my favorite characters that I like to mock, who's also written by one of my favorite authors, which is Lord Nyax. <laughs> I was when uh, I was reading Rocky's reviews of the New Jedi Order because you reread them. I don't know if it's a year before oh, yeah. me or, or longer, but um, yeah. your comments on Lord Nyax, I was like, I can't say some of the things that I'm thinking because I'm just recycling them from you because your things were so good. <laughs> See, I had a lot of fun when I was doing my reread because I was utterly informal. I didn't try whatsoever to, like, I just did not try to be formal or coherent or anything because, truthfully, I started that reread when I was functionally out of Star Wars fandom. I'd walked away and did not think I was coming back. If I had a dollar for every time, if I had a credit for every time I said that, I would probably own a very nice skyhook above Coruscant by now. Like, whenever I reread these reviews, sometimes I wonder how many of these I wrote at, like, 2 in the morning. Most of them, probably. I I like them. Yours were so funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes you have to, you know, kind of... Sometimes being a fan, part of it is being irreverent and, you know... You had to take the good with the bad in anything, and it was always funny because it's like, Lord Nyax, what, what was that? And those are some of my favorite books. But that whole, I literally like usually read other than just reading for the the race and what was going on with them. But that that actually also highlights one of all Aaron Austin's weak points was force philosophy early in his Star Wars. But he remember he wrote books that didn't need force philosophy when he first started writing Star Wars. He just wrote stories about everyday people. And then he came into this kind of mega series that needed, that was really heavy on the philosophy. And then, you know, there's this kind of like character in there that they needed, apparently they needed a reason to go go to Coruscant, essentially. He was um, this, like, insane plot device. But he really was, like, right out of the Bantam <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was a good thing. I really think this is another one of the things that's made the new Jedi Order stand up so well because it fits with the rest of the universe. It feels like it fits a lot better with Star Wars than some of the things published after it do. 
And even though there are a lot of like philosophy heavy books, you also get more force heavy, more space battles. It's very good at being a diverse series that has a little bit of a something for everyone. And mm-hmm. if there's one particular thing that you just have a hard time getting through, then there are other parts of the story that work and are good. Yes. yes. And it does return to things from the Bantam era, but it, it integrates them very well, usually. Yes. And it, it integrates them well at a time when we didn't have all of the info from the prequels, but we had bits and pieces of it. That's the advantage they have now is they don't have to not know or try to tiptoe around all those things that people would have, like they would have known because, or, you know, that you wish they would have known about Padme or Naboo or just things like that, that they didn't know because they were literally telling those stories at that time. So it was like, nothing, nothing, nothing. We can't tell anything. One of the things that the New Jedi Order is the last time we literally do see a Star Wars series that I believe truly tries to stay consistent to the to the to the Campbell model of having a hero's journey of having those kind of cycles, the rise and fall, and going through the steps within everything that's going on. They actually were going through that step. It, even though all the authors were doing their own thing, it still feels to me, going back and reading those books, that it's more cohesive than the nine book series, the two nine book series that came out after it, which was only three authors. Literally, we we do know that it, by Fate of the Jedi, the authors were essentially working against each other purposefully because they had different intentions. Oh. Um, to for what was happening and so it was everybody in the story was going and trying to make something happen to get to an end yes and i've started a legacy of the force reread and after that i'm probably going to do fate of the jedi mostly because i have no idea what the plot of fate of the jedi was all that i figured out about it was that dala cannot politics and something something abeloth (laughs) <laughs> Otherwise, I'm entirely unsure what happened. That's and the road also, trip, isn't it? Ben's road trip? Yes, it's Ben and Luke's road trip in which yep. we find out that Ben also has really terrible taste of women. He does. <laughs> <laughs> and I, have, I have a lot of opinions about Legacy of the Force and Fate of the Jedi, and especially rereading Legacy of the Force and finding out that it does not hold up whatsoever in comparison to New Jedi Order, which held up extraordinarily well even better than I well, thought it would. Yeah. And even in 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 those books, I, I actually really like some of the stuff that Karen Travis has written. In those books, she was at, working at odds as well. They, you know, they, she was, there are things, if you go back and look, she was purposely trying to undermine the Jedi in what was happening and how things played out. She was going to, stick it to the Jedi's legacy essentially in what she was writing. And I, I almost feel that's part of it was because she was in love with star Wars until she met some of the fandom that was oh. went after her maliciously about clone troop sizes. And then it just changed who, well, who, she, who she thought we were and it, not, and it affected her storytelling. Yeah. Not to, you know, we could talk about that for a while, I'm sure, but I think she, undermine the Jedi a little bit in the Republic Commando books as well. Yeah, and she did. I I like her, I do. I just noticed that. 
Well, I, I mean, to be fair, if you look at what all the scripts that were left from the Clone Wars that didn't get produced that we're now starting to see more of in comics and everything, George Lucas was doing a good job, too, in his sort of masterminding of kind of, okay, we get it, they're struggling, they're making really bad decisions. Yes. There, you know, so, but yeah, she certainly went, she went hard at, in what she did um, to Mara specifically and to Luke to really, if you look at Luke and the legacy of the force, he is, and I don't actually don't think that Denning helped the cause either, but they really made him into something that I don't think fans, any, you know, there are a lot of people who want Luke to be a certain way that's unrealistic, but there are certain things that Luke needs to stay true to. And at least maybe they got all that out of their system before they came into the sequel trilogy, or at least I hope so. Yeah, I tend to think so, because one of the things I really noticed was after finishing The New Jedi Order, it worked as a series, it flowed well, everybody felt like they were in character, and by the end of it, it felt like it worked. And then you crash through Legacy of the Force and crawl through Fate of the Jedi, and suddenly nothing really quite makes as much sense as you anticipated anymore. And I feel like a lot of it directly undid a lot of the progress that was being made in New Jedi Order, especially when it came to coherent storytelling and good character arcs stretched through multiple books. Yeah. A lot of elements of New Jedi Order were sort of forgotten in the later series. Well, and like, if you just say like Abeloth versus Verger if you're talking about kind of these, you know, force characters that are mm-hmm. in in the mix of the major elements of what's driving the story, there, there's no comparison. Like, Roger is like what I think people should aspire to and Abeloth is mm-hmm. what you should not try to aspire to as far as writing. Do it this way, not that way. Megan... I know that you have written fanfic. Rocky, have you written fanfic? Oh, I have. All right. <laughs> did, you, did you did you write did you write New Jedi Order fanfic when during the day or I wrote since? at least one New Jedi Order era NaNoWriMo fanfic, possibly ah. two, and a lot of shorter pieces, a lot of like one shots. I fell out of Star Wars fanfic entirely, and I've had an extraordinarily hard time getting back in unless I'm writing Legacy of the Force era, which is really strange, but I definitely did write plenty. And Megan, did you write any new Jedi Order fanfic or were you writing different stuff? That was different stuff then. Yeah. So during that time, I was definitely writing a lot, but it was primarily based in the movies. Um, Although some of my very early stuff, like early before I was even on the internet was about the Yusan Vong. So Yes and no. Your well, your attention was drawn to storytelling in the in the movies. Were you like speculating the movies, or were just how? What were you writing about in the movies? I really liked Luke, and I was writing a lot of uh, of stories about him, a lot of alternate universe stories for the original trilogy era. Luke, um, New Jedi Order. Luke didn't do much. I noticed on my reread, and I think I noticed when I first read them too. So he wasn't as, I was never as interested in older Luke. But I did, I really liked the Yusan Vong. I actually, like, shout out to this fanfic written in, like, 2004 that was about the Yusan Vong before they came to our galaxy. It was really cool, our galaxy, you know. So I read that. I wrote some, like, post 
New Jedi Order stuff about how they could be integrated into the galaxy, which didn't really happen until uh, Mercy Kill. Well, and everybody was very excited about that, too. So. Oh, yeah. I, I liked that. It didn't give us the big picture, but it gave us a picture. I still hope they use, you know, we saw that there was, what, some concept art at one point from the Clone Wars that might have been a Yuzong Vong-looking character, but, you know, they didn't happen. But I would love to see them show up and not to say just that you know an alien somewhere and be like because you know they could not invade the our our galaxy <laughs> oh yeah i was just thinking about that earlier like i'd love to see them just maybe they live on a, a living planet maybe they um have been in our galaxy the whole time but there's still that culture there in one of the things that if you you know, when that's sort of when I started writing fanfic was during when the New Jedi Order was coming out. I re- wrote my first, I went straight to a novel. I wasn't like none of this vignettes or song fix. <laughs> I was going right in. I went right in and did an AU and I won straight, straight out of the bat, best new author in the awards. And it was kind of funny because I remember then I had no idea that like there were people who believed in the movies but the people in the like the books didn't exist and there was this whole kind of drama about well the books don't exist and the movies are all there is that's you know that that's star wars and so then i was like okay which ended up being funny because then the clone wars came out mm-hmm. and then then more than the movies matter so i was like all right this is getting interesting and then and then the EU people were not happy with the Clone Wars messing with them. So that was like the next iteration of the people not liking things. And then we had the canon. Star Wars um, ruined forever. Yeah. <laughs> Disney and the canon thing and everything being redone. I'm like, well, now they just dropped a bomb on all you people. So, mm-hmm. you know, as far as the mindset. But for me, fanfic made me very willing to be accepting and fluid about my understanding of storytelling, it's really about just the infinite possibilities of what can happen in a story. And also, I don't necessarily, it's, I've, you know, I always, someone said to me one time that I have extremely high expectations for Star Wars books. And I was like, you know, it's funny because I can read a fanfic that isn't bait, you know, baited, that they've written it and put it down and maybe wandered a bit in their plot uh, putting down a hundred thousand words, but I can still enjoy it. So I, the expectations are for me really that I just have a good story. I don't need things to be perfect. Sometimes my eye will go and catch things now, but I have I have to say that pretty much everything that I my basic understanding from Star Wars was from listening to authors, reading interviews from the New Jedi Order, the Michael Sackpole, the Greg Keys, the Stovers. Um, uh, Aaron Alston, all those people, Luceno, just talking about their process, what they understood about storytelling. And I would go back and I would learn those things and learn how to, you know, do different things, dialogue, arcing out a character. So for me, I think it's an in, invaluable tool. I don't know how, it's always funny because you know, Megan and I have talked a bit about fanfic on in other venues, but you, if you're going to learn how to be a storyteller, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You have to do it and fail. And there's no better way than to do it and put it out in front of people and watch them react real time to what you did. Literally, people would wait and see 
what I put up and within 20 minutes, I'd have 20 responders. So I would know instantaneously, well, that didn't work so much or doing that wasn't a good idea or that really, oh, oh, that really responded. As opposed to, you know, the way that a novel works where people will write something and they'll put it out and it literally be, could be two stories beyond what they're working on now. And they look at the feedback, but there's a buffer there from the instantaneous effort of doing it. Um, so I think there's, if you want to story tell, it's not a bad way to go. So. Yeah. And when, um, so I didn't start writing fanfic with star Wars. I was doing it just like on my own before then. But, um, I, I tend to think about, and I've talked about this before, but I got into the new Jedi order, like instantly after I saw star Wars for the first time, I came late to it. I, saw the the first movie I ever saw in theaters of the first Star Wars movie and then picked up an insider and read a new Jedi Order story. There was no disconnect there. And I think that made it very easy for me to dive right into the new Jedi Order, although it was definitely confusing and I don't really recommend it. Um, (laughs) And it made me realize how this franchise used all kinds of different media so immediately. Not that I'd never seen that before, but in Star Wars it struck me as oh, I will just watch this movie that was set in the Old Republic, and here's a story that's 50 years later, and I enjoy both of these things, and isn't that cool? I think so. Rocky, is there anything that you learned from the fanfic aspect of being a Star Wars fan? That you t- uh, Did it help you be better at reading stuff? And I mean, because you're just... You, you're talking about the the character and story time. I'm like, man, she's really insightful. Did you learn that in English or did you <laughs> did you learn it a little bit in in fandom as well? Oh, I absolutely never paid attention in English class. Like I said, <laughs> I was not a student you want in your high school ever. Trust me. A lot of what I learned about writing had more to do with fanfic. I wrote several long fics. I did NaNoWriMo four years in a row, and three of those years were fanfic related. And now, even though I don't really write for Star Wars anymore, I still write a lot of World of Warcraft, especially since I'm very involved in the roleplay world and have to write a lot for it. It's interesting how much writing fanfic made me look at what I was actually reading, profic, as we were calling it back then on TheForce.net, reading it again and just going, wait, this doesn't sound consistent, or getting better at recognizing different authors' strengths and weaknesses, Mm -hmm. being able to tell more about when they were really writing outside of their normal comfort zone. It It was interesting to see how much writing for myself, focusing my writing on things that I enjoyed writing on or knew I was pretty good at, realizing how much focusing on that helped me pick out what other authors were and were not good at. Yeah, I think it does help you hold the things you read to a certain standard, too, because, I mean, the cliche is that fanfic is badly written, and some of it is written by people that haven't quite found their feet yet, but there's really good fics that then make you look at original novels, I mean, you know, franchise licensed mm-hmm. novels, and say, this is not, you know, ex-fanfic writer would have done it better, and that's oh, a... Yeah. A strange feeling, but I think it's one that helps with your discernment as a reader and a writer. Well, that was one of the interesting things when the Phantom, I mean, sorry, when the Revenge of the Sith came out, there was so much projection in the fanfic world of what Anakin and Padme could have done. But especially I felt like there were a lot of people who were really strong on Padme. And then when, you know, she died of a broken heart, 
it was sort of like, what? Ah, you know, because there was so much projection of what, and the one, the beautiful thing for me was to watch people go and literally rewrite Revenge of the Sith and fix it. I'm like, oh, thank you somebody for doing that. Um, just some of the strongest people who write critical reviews that I nod at and they were talking about storytelling have come out of the fanfic community. They just, they, they can see so many amazing things about storytelling. It, you know, storytelling is, it's not, it's tapping, it's like rubbing your stomach and tapping your head and doing jumpy jacks at the same time with your feet. It's, you know, there's a lot of things you have to do to write a, a novel. And so, yeah, I, I, Hopefully, and it seems like nowadays there's more, less and less stigma. I mean, I just read Uprooted by Naomi Novik, who was one of the, you know, people who was behind Archive, Archive of Our Own. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I could see, I was just like, oh man, you know, here she is, you know, she came out of fanfic and she's making a gazillion bucks for the publishing houses. And I'm, and, you know, they, they sold her book to movie rights. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's sometimes. You can learn things. You have to start somewhere. So I'm glad to see it's getting less and less stigma on it as far as the community. I learned how to be a fan in this, a fan on Twitter. Like some people are like, how'd you adapt so well? I'm like, just, you know, live in the Star Wars fanfic community during the end of the prequel trilogy and the beginning, you know, that era. You could survive that. You could survive anything. <laughs> oh, yes. The very sensation of oh, you really think this is fandom drama? Well, guess what? I was in the middle of the Jaina ship wars. You can't scare me anymore. <laughs> you, you, know, and the, <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I, you know, I was in there too. And and sometimes it makes, you know, just going through it, I t- remind people just sometimes you need to take a breath mm-hmm. about things if you don't agree with it. The the interesting thing with the Jaina ship wars was there actually was, there were people, this is like the, kind of the high level there were people that were making it worse because they were in positions of authority within that were literally kind of had their own objective that which wasn't moderating that made that escalated it to things so you know when people talk about the the ship wars it was actually getting worse and worse because of things that were happening that had nothing to do with the characters and I still and I still always laugh because when you talk about your when they were going beyond the New Jedi Order, I'm like, Zek wasn't even you know, when um Darkness came out, which is like I just I tell tell people just don't even read those books. Just pretend like they don't exist. I haven't like, actually. Yeah, I don't I and yet they, I've heard both really amazingly great reviews and please don't bother reading it reviews. Oh, they're just there's things. There's just things. <laughs> That's I, what I've heard. I'm like, there was there was wars going on, and there was Jaina and Jag, and Jaina and Kip, and then there was like Jaina. That was weird. Man. Down here, it was like okay, but you know, it was it was like he wasn't even he wasn't even second. There'd be like saying, I don't know, there was Team Edward and Team Jacob, and they chose the dude in the the left side of the corner that said hello to her in high school every day <laughs> passing in the hall. No, Zach was more important than that, but it was kind of just really random. So mm-hmm. uh, I was on the sidelines, if I remember correctly, and I don't remember the specifics very well, but I think I was on the sidelines of the ship wars watching the explosions in the distance. <laughs> well, that's that's usually the way. Uh, I I truly believe, and I do this even when I when I would 
people could always go different ways in their lives. So it could go any way. And actually the power of shipping has made some, some stories go, you know, movies, we think about Twilight or even the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. Some people that is their kind of, and there's nothing wrong with that being your draw into a story. Um, I was always on team Jaina. That's who I cared about. And I, and I, Mm -hmm. and I believe that there is a powerful dynamic with someone wanting you want one character to be happy and by way, and you like two characters and it would be even better if they were both happy because they were together. So it actually, it's a way of kind of the magical mashup of escalating affinities for characters. Hmm. Um, that is, it's like a soup that it makes attraction to stories even stronger than someone who just likes a character yeah. because ultimately you want that character to be happy. That's what people tend to, well, not always, but a lot of people um, I, read fiction for escapism. I love yes. that you call it escalating affinities. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new theory. So anyway, I'm um, going to wrap it up. Uh, are there any last thoughts on the new Jedi Order that we didn't get to that you just wanted to get out there? Alima deserved so much more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I talked about that already and I'll talk about that more but Alima was the underdog unexpected character that I was like suddenly rooting for like rooting hard and then she just went downhill from yeah. there yeah. I realized that that's part of why because when I started rereading them I went oh she went to the dark side at some point didn't she and I she did <laughs> I was just a series too early or so throat crushed uh, by Jagfell's crush gaunt Oh, yeah. at some point, clearly we're going to need to have another chat slash rant about Legacy of the Force because, oh, I can talk so much about Alima's fate and Jag's ongoing existence for reasons unknown. See, this is the <laughs> funny thing when it came to the Jaina Ship Wars is I was just so thoroughly out of the Jaina Ship Wars because, like, no, I just want Jaina to be a character on her own. Yeah. Why does she have all the boys around her? Well, that was <laughs> that was one of the problems mm-hmm. is that they 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 made it about this kind of, that whole novel about that, but it was because they literally got so much backlash from Dark Nest, which yes, we could probably have a whole other show about that. But that's that era where they were they went from selling. The exponentially losing readers in after the New Jedi Order, and it had nothing to do with the New Jedi Order. The New Jedi Order takes a hit for losing people, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the New Jedi Order. It was everything that happened after yes. it that that really, you know, they just let lost the steam. Um, you know, so that was that was the problem. Yes, and it shouldn't have been about Jaina. And her many men in Legacy of the Force should have been about Jaina. Absolutely. And if you have a relationship while you're going through a journey, that's one thing. But to go through a, I don't know what that was, is just a nightmare. Yeah, that was definitely a big thing. And just the sense that, I've heard this from a lot of people, you can finish Unifying Force and be very happy with where the EU is and pretty much walk away from it. And just imagine that everybody lived happily ever after. And it works so well as an end to the EU because there are many mixed feelings, shall we say, about everything that happened afterwards. Yes, absolutely. And the ending of Unifying Force is so beautiful. He was there for the whole thing. He was working as part, Luceno was working as part of the kind of the team. And you could tell he made, uh, he had a lot of threads to wrap up and it's not my favorite book, but he, he managed to fit it all in. I mean, he managed to make 
pretty much everything get to a point where you're like, okay, I know why I read 19 books. I'm, <laughs> I'm good with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it works. It's such a good, well done capstone. And if that's like the last EU book you read chronologically, Say if you were to start with Truce at Bakura and just keep on reading, you could finish with Unifying Force and actually get a decent 90% coherent story that actually functions and works and flows. Yeah. After that, very hit or miss. Very hit or miss. And I think one of the problems is they were all they are always thinking, and this is you you have to as a storyteller think about your end game, but they are always thinking about their next story. So they're always trying to get ready. You know, there was never a None of the books beyond that felt like like everything in the New Jedi Order was like a book. You could read it and feel like you read a book and you got someplace and you needed to, you know, you could go, okay, I read a book. I felt like I accomplished something. And everything after that felt like, well, I got to read it, wait for that other book. And then I got to read that other book before I feel anything about this because I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I don't know where anybody is still. So, um, yeah. And, Megan, where can people find you on the social media? Yeah, uh, um, people can find me at, at @blogfullofwords on Twitter. Yay! And do you have anything coming up? Anything that people should look for? Um, well, right now I'm I'm kind of plugging my aftermath review, which is on Den of Geek. Um, and there will be another NJO retrospective post. There'll be one more before the entire thing wraps up, which will also be on Den of Geek. So really, I want to point people over there. Oh, well, do you know when that's going to go up? I don't. Well, let me know because we'll definitely plug it into this when it goes up. So we'll make sure people know. And then, Rocky, where can people find you? I am at Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter, and that is probably the best way to find me. My Tumblr is the same, though my Tumblr tends to be a little bit more World of Warcraft related. However, it does have all of my new Jedi Order rereads, and as I'm slowly accomplishing Legacy of the Force rereads, that's also where that's going. Do you have a tag for those? Like, is there that somebody could look for them easy on Tumblr? Or I do. LadyDarthKaitis.tumblr.com slash tag slash new space Jedi space order space reread. Reread is nice. one word. <laughs> I can read. Nice. <laughs> and Perfect. Actually, if you send that to me, I will put it in this post for this show. So then they can just go to the show notes and look it up. Awesome. And, and I, I write for 1138. Those. I believe I have an Aftermath review coming up next week. Nice. <laughs> Everybody will have an Aftermath review coming up next week, it seems like. Oh, I'm so <laughs> excited. I've I've literally been um, uh, reading like two books at one time, sometimes with one in each hand. So <laughs> for the last couple of days here, so it's been it's been quite exciting this Force Friday. Oh yeah, having toys, having having uh, things. I I just pre-ordered my Ray staff that is going to be coming in two weeks. I am so excited. Cool. Cooler than a lightsaber. I'm telling you. Where did you get that? <laughs> Uh, Costume Express. They are digitally printing exact replicas because yay for digital printing. That's awesome. (laughs) You too can be Ray and you don't know anything about her. (laughs) Oh, I'm excited. I still need to find a BB-8 plushie of some sort. And I think I need a good Star Wars coffee mug because it's come to my attention that I don't seem to own one. Oh, well, I just got a really cool... 
coffee mug that says fanboy tears, but that was my story. <laughs> you know, I might need one of those because, well, the way I've described my relationship with the Star Wars fandom is everything from starting fights on the Force.net by whispering Berger to once fleeing to a bathroom of a bar with a fellow Star Wars fan to read fanfic in order to get away from some boys who were pursuing us. <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that's one way to do it. Okay, so I think that pretty much wraps this up, and there will be links definitely in the show notes for this, so you can find Megan's retrospective, you can find Rocky's retrospective, and I'll put some links to some of my older posts on New Jedi Order. It's definitely an influential apparently on all of our uh, selves as far as bloggers and uh, reviewers, critics, readers, and lovers of Star Wars. So thanks. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Thanks, guys, for listening to another exciting episode of Fangirl Chat. If you want to find us on the interwebs, all you have to do is go to Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me, Teresa, at Ice Cold Penguin on both. If you want to find Trisha, she's at Fangirl Cantina on both as well. So we hope to hear from you guys. Send us an email to fangirlsgoingrogue at gmail.com if you want to talk to us about our Fangirl Chat shows, and we will be more than glad to read your emails on the air. If you want to see us on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash fangirlsgoingrogue, and you can find not only that fangirl chat stuff, but all of our Star Wars fangirl stuff as well. For Trisha, fangirlblog.com, and for me, fangirlnextdoor.com, go and visit our sites and join in on the conversation. So thanks, guys, again for listening, and geek on!